You're listening to the Human Business Narrative Podcast with your host, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Eastern European, Ivan Tamilkov. Yo, what's up, you lovely humans? My name is Ivan Temelkov, digital practitioner, human evangelist, and startup founder of Razor Sharp Digital, a human marketing agency that helps brands develop their full digital governance through human-to-human convergence. Thank you for tuning into episode number 14 of the Human Business Narrative Podcast with today's special guest, Melinda Woodstock. If you're a first-time listener to the show, thank you for downloading my podcast. I'm truly humbled and most grateful to you for spending the time in doing so. This is a podcast where we discuss human business, human centricity, entrepreneurship, digital marketing, social media, and special guests and industry experts share their compelling stories for business growth. The one major key takeaway that you should be extracting from each episode is the importance of human centricity in entrepreneurship, business, and marketing in today's modern digital world. Before I forget, head on over to httpbit.ly forward slash human business to download your free copy on the five essentials of strategic human marketing. This is a great resource to have in your marketing arsenal and a document to reflect upon. If you'd like to if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, please send me an email at Ivan at razorsharpdigital.com or you can also tweet me at HBN Podcast. So the month of August and September were really, really interesting. A couple of things that I want to share with you guys first before diving into the guest interview with Melinda Woodstock, who I am extremely, extremely excited to present to you guys. August was a very interesting month because this was the first vacation in a couple of years that me and my wife ended up taking and this was the first vacation for my now 18 month old son uh, that we took uh, down in Foley, Alabama, down south near the Gulf just to relax and just enjoy some family time. So that was really, really great. A couple of weeks to just unplug and get away and just have some family time, some really good family fun, enjoy some some good seafood. Uh, my wife and I are big fans of seafood, and that was extremely pleasant. So with that being said, the month of August really just kind of got away, and so did the month of September because of a lot of different things that have been happening with my business. Which brings me up to the next point. A couple of things. If you are not subscribed to my YouTube channel just yet at youtube.com forward slash Ivan Temelkov. I strongly encourage you to do that as well. It absolutely complements this podcast in every single aspect of everything. It really emphasizes upon the human business element of things and just really the day-to-day endeavors of entrepreneurship and how one struggling entrepreneur, myself that is, is going through the entire journey and also documenting that as well. So I invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Ivan Temelkov 
for some regular videos. I talk about also entrepreneurship, business, uh, marketing as, as well. And most importantly is encapsulating that within my day-to-day shenanigans. So that is really all that I want to share with you guys. With that, without further ado, I am going to turn things over to Melinda Woodstock, who is the guest on episode 14 of the Human Business Narrative Podcast. Enjoy, and I will see you on the flip side. Hey, everyone. This is uh, Ivan Temelkov here on the Human Business Narrative Podcast. And today, I am joined with uh, Melinda Woodstock. Did I... Did I pronounce that correctly? Melinda? Yes, you did. It's great to be great. with you today. Today, today. Same, same. Uh, feelings mutual. So, can you can you introduce yourself um, to the listeners? You know, tell us who you are and how how did you get to where you are today? <laughs> I, I think my grandmother was the first to diagnose it when uh, I was about five. She said, "You're disruptive," and. Uh, yeah, no, she was right because I, like I have ended up being kind of uh, what I like to think of myself anyway, as a bit of a disruptive innovator. Um, I, at age five, I mean, what prompted this, of course, is that I was going door to door with my black lab, um, okay. asking people to prepay for my show. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. Right. The plot thickens. I'm already a little bit entrepreneurial um, there. Mm-hmm made like a hundred bucks and she thought that was like astonishing. And I, I think back now and I think, God, where were my parents? Like, what were they doing? Like when I was doing all of this, but, um, right. 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 So I've, I've always <laughs> been sort of entrepreneurial. I've always really been, I, you know, I like ideas and pioneering and, you know, uh, you know, creating, you know, coming up with creative solutions to problems, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff that, you know, on entrepreneurs are made of really. Um, and in my case, I mean, I went on from there to do all kinds of little side businesses uh, as a kid and a teenager and right the way through college where mm-hmm. I uh, became, I got the journalism bug, you know, I became a journalist and I, I had joined the Times of London when I was only 22 as a business correspondent. Oh, wow. Okay. And then the media correspondent. Um, and, um, but, you know, ahead of that on my student newspaper, you know, I'd created the ad department. I created a, sure. uh, a magazine uh, that ran for a long time there as just a 19 year old. So this kind of journalism and entrepreneurship have always been like a really big, big, uh, um, both of them very big parts of my life. And mm-hmm. what I loved about the time on the uh, Times is that I got to interview these amazing entrepreneurs and business leaders and writing about business and media, including folks like Steve Jobs. Um, and I okay. like to learn from them, um, which of course I did. And anyway, career took me through, uh, you know, print, television, radio. I was a host for the, the BBC, BBC television, ABC News, MSNBC, and, and, and beyond. And, um, and then I launched my first real adult business in 2002. I'm mm-hmm. now on to business number four. Uh, Verifeed, I'm the CEO and founder of that, and we do uh, okay. uh, what we call social intelligence. 
what that actually means in practice is we understand a lot about people from what they share um, in their social conversations, like you know, Twitter, Facebook, that kind of thing. You know, about their needs, their their habits, their interests, their hobbies. And from understanding all of that, we can help our clients, you know, um, you know, brands and businesses find their their ideal customers. Mm -hmm. you know, and also the people who are the most influential, um, who if were made into a happy client would bring many, many more with them, influence many more to kind of join or buy the product or service that the, our client businesses are selling. So, so, um, it's a really interesting way to figure out how to um, really be very thoughtful and contextual in your messaging and interaction interactions with people on social media. So they really like you turn people into your kind of true fans. So that's what I do now. Um, sure. In addition to all this, sorry, this is a little long winded, isn't it? I'm sorry about this. Um, I'm also <laughs> writing a book. I also writing a book on female entrepreneurship. Um, okay. Okay. I am one, and um, I've learned a lot along the way. Lots of you know everything from you know obviously some successes, but also some fail forwards, and um, a lot of things. A lot of things about how it's different or harder in some cases for female entrepreneurs, but also some sure. really positive things that we bring to the table that I think are really relevant in the time that we live in now. Um, and so it's a very in, inspiring uh, message, I think, and really along the lines of wanting to be the change I want to see in the world, which is really ins to inspire women mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to work, uh, to help each other um, um, in this entrepreneurial endeavor. So that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it definitely wasn't long-winded. One of the things that uh, I, I really express a strong level of curiosity strong level of interest is the story of every guest that is on this podcast um, because the story is what makes you ultimately it's what builds your character and personality and I think that translates into your brand a couple of things that you mentioned that I wanted to really point out because I think are important is I think that in entrepreneurship one of the things that you mentioned and just started sharing your story is that I think a lot of it starts with curiosity right curiosity you know you're young and you're curious you were doing the door to door with, um, you know, your, your dog and little did, did you know that, you know, entrepreneurship was something that you were interested in. So, you know, what's really interesting is how a lot of stories start out with curiosity, right? And then kind of one of those jack of all trades type of situations where you're experimenting, you're testing and trying out as you were going out, going through college, you know, and the college newspaper, uh, which leads me to the next two points I wanted to mention with, you know, your company is what really kind of stood out to me that I thought was really interesting is um, the predictive social intelligence that uh, you focus on. And then I think what you call return on authenticity. That's right. Yes. Um, you know, this, the return on authenticity is something that um, really resonated with me because um, a prior guest was Ted Rubin who talked about return on relationship. Mm -hmm. And what I really liked about the return on authenticity that you mentioned um, in your bio is that, you know, social is very saturated at this point. And I think authenticity and predictive intelligence really just kind of help, you know, brands pre-qualify their customers. So I, I think it's kind of cool that you guys are focusing on that aspect with uh, Verifeed, correct? That's your current yeah, company? that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's really cool because, you know, for one, I don't think I know of 
really any entrepreneurs, you know, that have their own business that really kind of focuses on the social aspect of things, but from a predictive intelligence standpoint, especially with return on authenticity. Well, you know, it's just struck me. And I think perhaps because I, you know, was a journalist for so long that Mm -hmm. there is just so much data. There's so much information out there, almost like hiding in plain sight. And if you know where to look for it and how to point the technology in such a way that you can find signal in the noise, mm-hmm. um, you know, why, you know, that, I mean, essentially that's what we do. So from all that information, I mean, it, it really comes down to how best to really serve your customers. And I think about this in the sense that the consumer has been trained over the last decade or so um, with increasing efficiency (laughs) to expect Mm -hmm. a very personalized connection with a brand or a business. And I mean, let's break it down. I mean, think of all the things that have happened, right? Um, First of all, people share so much about themselves on social media that they assume that you're going to know them. Um, Right. uh, Right. Then meanwhile, big brands like Amazon, um, and Spotify and like so many others, Airbnb, whatever, all have trained the consumer to expect this really personalized connection. You know, mm-hmm. Amazon really, uh, the big giant in this, like, oh, if you like this, then you should also like this. And using their algorithms, using all the data that they accumulate on you as a consumer to understand exactly what you want, not only based on your past purchases, but your reviews and now increasingly social data, like what you're saying about all these things, what you're thinking of buying based on what you're Mm -hmm. talking about with your friends. And so, you know, it comes down to this, you know, like why guess, (laughs) you know, your customers are, if you can know, um, and right, like it, it's really what we're doing is just saying like, why have all this time consuming, expensive guesswork? If you can know mm-hmm. right out of the box, just by listening to people, by listening to them and really understanding them, they're more likely to listen to you. And so when you said, and you're right, that social is very saturated, it's saturated with lots of brands and businesses going like me, 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 me. <laughs> like nobody mm-hmm. cares. Sure, sure. What they should be doing is you. How can I help you? How can I help you? How can I help you? And and that implies that you need to personalize your messaging. And therein comes the next challenge. How on earth do you personalize at scale? And so that is a problem that we're really focused on solving, like how to get Mm -hmm. the right message to the right person at the right time for the right reason, for the right result. And if you can, a big part of authenticity is being able to kind of personalize your message, you know, being able to to really find that kind of mutual kind of win-win connection. And really it is how people buy. So, uh, something that I wanted to mention that I think is essential to authenticity that we're talking about uh, and congruent with what this podcast about is about is human business and human centricity and social media, which is what we're talking about. So a couple of things that you were talking about is, you know, the predictive intelligence and using data to understand, especially for brands to use data to determine, you were talking about Amazon, how to engage with their customers on social media from a predictive intelligence standpoint, which in essence means 
knowing what they want without having to ask them and using the data to basically determine that. And uh, I'm a big data guy too, because I think data is essential. And some of the things that you were talking about with social and authenticity, I think it cross pollinates with human business and human centricity, which you know, understanding what consumers want, because as you said, you know, social, I think is, and personally, I think that social is very saturated because has become such an essential of our day-to-day lives. And, you know, everyone is on social, using social as platforms of expression, right? Whether you're talking to your grandparents or some people talk to their kids, even cross country or across the world, right? Um, but how do you really narrow down? And I think that's what was so interesting that you were talking about with Austin using data to really reach the right customers and uh, social media. Let me kind of turn this in a, in a little different direction because I'm really, really curious about this. Actually, um, something that I, that I was really looking at having you on uh, the podcast, email entrepreneurship and, and startups and leaders. You know, I, I think that over the last several years, there's been a lot more females that have emerged into the startup scene. I really want to know from perspective, first of all, how would you describe entrepreneurship to you from your, how you started out and the way you're, you're building your company? Yeah. So to me, entrepreneurship really is about innovation. Um, you mentioned kind of curiosity. I mean, it, to me, it's about seeing a problem that exists mm-hmm. and just really being very mission focused in, in trying to find a, a, a new way or a new approach or a better solution, like a way to actually solve a problem. Um, and the innovation piece personally is really big for me. I think there's a big difference between entrepreneurship and owning a business, <laughs> right? Um, and sure, sometimes, sure. sometimes people, in my mind anyway, Um, confuse the two. So I think there's something inherent in entrepreneurship, which is about pioneering something, coming up with a new way of doing something that's, you know, Mm -hmm. like the old paradigm of better, faster, cheaper, (laughs) right? (laughs) But, but either, and I think it's interesting with female entrepreneurs, um, you know, when it comes to technology, um, tend to be very good at finding new ways to apply technology and Mm -hmm. stitch together different technologies in new ways to solve big problems like societal problems and kind of mission-driven problems. And they're kind Mm -hmm. of tend to be, I mean, I've interviewed more than a hundred women for my book, a lot of them in the technology um, space. And that's the Mm -hmm. one thing that I'm, I'm seeing a pattern in the types of startups that those kind of female innovators, or I call them entrepreneurs, um, tend to do, because they'll mm-hmm. look at like, wow, the hell, the entire they come at it from with often with deep domain expertise, like they've worked in corporate, um, have all these degrees, you know, or well, super, super qualified, and finally get frustrated because they're trying to innovate from within a larger entity. And sure. can't. I mean, you know, I think I kind of hit the wall on that, or maybe the glass ceiling, or, or however you want to look at it, um, and think, wait a minute, um, I have a way to um, 
I have a solution for this entire industry or this entire vertical of how I'm mm-hmm. going to go disrupt it. Sure. And it's interesting because that doesn't necessarily fit the, the, the standard VC venture capitalist pattern recognition kind of um, in terms of the types of companies that get funded because they tend to be looking more for create a new technology, like something totally different or let's, right. not, let's right. be pretty simple. It's more of a linear thing. Whereas women come at it like thinking a little bit more, uh, web-like, <laughs> okay. Like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. To this yeah, over absolutely. here, and then if you connect this over here, and then wow, all this magic happens. And I, think <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of guys look at that and say, "Wow, uh, that's complicated. Right. Can you simplify that? <laughs> Can you?" Focus? Well, let, and the woman says, "I made a really What are you talking about?" <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, I, you're absolutely right. You know, without abruptly interjecting, you mentioned a really good point that I want to expand upon. You talked about innovation within, right? You talked about, and this is a very common issue, I think, that a lot of corporations are encountering. And some are recognizing the issue and some just aren't. What I'm particularly talking about here is that, so people, not just women, you know, employees want to innovate within, right? I mean, you get hired on the job and you know, you bring a, a fresh perspective or a new skill set um, that otherwise maybe didn't exist um, or wasn't available on the table. But what I think a lot of do is even shape you and they say, okay, you're going to do X, Y, Z. You know, so the what they hired you for, the job description for the skill set, ultimately, sometimes it's just completely redundant, honestly. So that's where... When you were talking about entrepreneurship, you know, entrepreneurship and innovation is that I think this is why we have seen such a huge spin of entrepreneurs over the last five years, especially people want to innovate, but are incapable or capable, but not allowed to innovate companies because companies already have a pre-existing business model. They know how they want to know what works for them and you know, as they say, anytime you step outside of your comfort zone, that you're in unknown territory and a lot of companies like that. Well, a classic. Because it's a, a, yeah, it's a foreign, like, foreign space to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, a classic so, case of that is. Just I think you made a really good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, a classic case of this, of course, is look at something like Kodak. I mean, Kodak, actually, they had um, employees internally that mm-hmm. figured out the digital camera. But the top brass said, no, we don't do that here. Um, let's stay with, you sure. know, kind of what we know. We all know what happened to, to Kodak. I mean, I think the funniest story is Jeffrey Hazlett, who used to be the, um, the CMO of Kodak, knew he was in trouble when he got on a plane first class and was, it tells the story of sitting next to a really attractive woman um, on the plane. And she says, you know, what do you do? And in a proud voice, he says, I'm the chief marketing officer of Kodak. And she says, what's Kodak? And, and that's how quickly like a massive company can be like just forced into oblivion um, by not, accepting or not making innovation a really big part of of what they're of what they're doing and it can be hard for these major companies it's like turning a super tanker like an oil tanker around in the middle of the sea i mean it it takes time there are layers and layers and layers of people who have been acculturated that they don't get fired for saying no Um, but they may get fired for saying yes 
but I think you're right. A lot of right. a lot of uh, companies right. are like having you know entrepreneurs in residence and you know that sort of that sort of thing, or you know um, trying to um, have this be more of their corporate culture. And I think that's smart. You know, the ones that are doing that are are super sure. smart. And otherwise, they're buying you know companies like Verifeed and others who are innovating. Right. That's the other way to do it. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I, I didn't interrupt, but I think there for a few seconds as, as you were uh, kind of driving your thoughts. So I didn't want to interject. I think it might have been our internet connection. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we didn't lose five seconds or so, I would say. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think that, so first of all, you were talking about innovation, which I think is a huge part because, I mean, look at what happened to uh, Blockbuster Video. For instance, yeah, right. You know, Netflix uh, beat them to the punch, right? Because uh, Blockbuster Video, I mean, their outlook on that was who in the world is going to stream movies, right? Nobody's going to do that, right? Yeah, no. it's the poverty of imagination in that case, right? right? And I, I believe Blockbuster even had the opportunity to buy Netflix and they turned it yes. down. They could have gotten yes. so cheaply, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I use that analogy and there's, you know, uh, the retail space is is suffering a huge demise. I mean, I think I read something like Michael Kors shutting down a bunch of stores and Macy's, you know, uh, having to to uh, lay off a bunch of people. Also, uh, JCPenney, I think, uh, Sears almost going under, um, you know, so I, the point is this, that you're right. And just to bring this uh, full circle, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that entrepreneurship, you know, is about innovation. And it's important to have innovation because, Innovation is a driving factor that attributes to not only longevity, but sustainability as in an independent business. And I think that this is why there has been so many entrepreneurs that have emerged onto the scene over the last five years, because big companies have dominated, you know, and what I mean by that is, let's take a look at the last 50 years, right, is um, let's look at uh, fast food chains, for instance, right, McDonald's, Steak and Shake, Burger King. Uh, Hardee's. I mean, those were essential, right? And now these very same food chains are having to completely reinvent themselves. Like, I think I just found out that actually McDonald's has an app that, you know, has mobile ordering. And why? It's because the consumer mindset, you know, is changing. It's constantly changing. And companies need to understand that it needs to be adaptive towards the changing consumer mindset. You know, because it's about demand, it's about consumer interest. But here's what I'm really more interested in. So you talked about innovation and entrepreneurship from a female perspective. How else would you say that entrepreneurship differentiates from a female perspective? Because we know that for a long period of time, entrepreneurship was primarily uh, a male-dominated space, right? So how does the female? How do you see? entrepreneurship from a different from a different angle aside from innovation how do you see it being different or how do you envision it being different ah right well there's a lot of the same things that everybody goes through right like you know being mm -hmm. able to um handle uh you know uh being elated five times within the hour and devastated five times in the same hour you know like that's just like stuff like that sort of goes sure. with the territory but i think that women um, and I think this is changing, but generationally, I mean, there's a, a, a big pattern. There, there, there's an interesting pattern here that women tend to come into it a little bit later in life. 
mm -hmm. um, and then than men. And here's there was a really interesting study, um, and I'm I, my apologies, I forget who did it, but it was about the risk profile of mm -hmm. men and women in entrepreneurship, and it said that men in their twenties and women in their late thirties, forties, and fifties have the same risk tolerance. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, and that's so interesting. So like the time, the, a great time to invest in men is in their twenties. Mm -hmm. It's before mm -hmm. they're encumbered with any responsibilities, any children, any kind of like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm the provider. I've got to pay, you know, all those sorts of things. I've, I've got to be able to, you know, um, make sure that I can deliver. So they're less risk, like, you know, they're, they're, right, right. they're, they're able to take on risk. Now women start to be like that in their, by and large in their forties and fifties, and they come into highly energized and highly credentialed. And again, this is a generalization, but are more open to risk then because they've already, you know, they're married, they've already had their kids. You know what I mean? Like they, mm -hmm. they, right? They're Absolutely. more free at that time. So that's the time to invest in women. The problem is that the, the VC structure doesn't recognize that. They're looking for women in their 20s. Women in their 20s are not necessarily going to be as interested in this or feel mm. as confident. Sure. Um, now that's beginning to change. Um, but where we're at right now, that's kind of what it looks like. And it was a fascinating thing. I think also it really is just a difference in terms of the way our brains work and whether our brains work slightly differently because of nurture or nature is anybody's guess. But from what I observe is that women are much more able to do kind of web thinking, kind of systems thinking. They're very much more relational in the way they think. So as a result of that, I mean, I think we're all acculturated to think a lot more about the relationship, about mm -hmm. empathy, about all those things. Now that's right. awesome in terms of what we bring to either established companies or startups. Um, in that we can build great cultures, really good at kind of managing, really good at making people feel, you know, all that kind of relationship right, stuff. Right. Where it's a problem though, is where we don't fire fast enough. Like if someone's not right, because we're so concerned, if it, oh, I don't want to right, right. I don't want somebody to not like me. I mean, you know, because we're, we're so a culture, we want everybody to like us. Well, if we're an entrepreneur, we're going to piss people off. I mean, that just kind of goes with the territory. So like, right. kind of like womaning up on that is, is something that's important and, and not to the point of like being like a guy, but doing it in an authentically female way. So like one of the things that I, I explore in my book is how women can be much more in their authentic feminine power and redefine mm -hmm. concepts of like that, that were always associated with masculinity in the past, like strength and power and focus and resilience. Well, women have that too. They just express it in a different way. And, and, there, and there's not right. one that's better or the other, but you know, where I ultimately come down is I see that the most innovative leaders um, um, whether leaders of on, you know, entrepreneurial ventures or anything in life have a much more or a much better balanced between the kind of archetypal masculine and feminine traits.
right? Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of like an evolved, much more conscious leadership um, where you're really taking the best of both, where men take some of the female, you know, uh, the empathy and the, the relationship thing. And then, and then women take some of the kind of can do, get it done, task oriented. I'm going to go get that wildebeest and bring it back here, like right now on time, <laughs> right? And yeah, sort of yeah, like yeah. combining those two things. If for a man to do that and a woman to do that is at the, I think the highest um, evolution um, of, of where we can all show up and work yeah. best together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned some really, really good points. Uh, so, you know, kind of stemming off the uh, study that you were referring to. And a couple of things I want to share about that, too, is, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head several times. First of all, um, you, were, you were talking about, you know, the masculine approach, you know, to business. I think that, you know, there's a huge part in that, right? There has been historically where males, you know, I, and I think this is why entrepreneurship for a long period, period of time was predominantly uh, a male-centric discipline, you know, something that uh, males were, you know, were, uh, I would say, probably early adopters towards, you know, in their early 20s, and, you know, because, um, in a sense, maybe they were a lot more fearless, right? Yes. And you were talking about things like um, fear, you were talking about self-confidence also, in a way, you know, I think that, that female entrepreneurs have that, but like you said, you know, based on the studies that I think it's later in life when, you know, they have uh, sort of a, maybe a status quo or they've accomplished certain achievements, like maybe they've had a family already, you know, and um, they have a couple of kids and maybe they've, they've been through a, you know, corporate job or whatever. And, you know, they've, they've got some experience under their belt and they feel like, okay, I have some seasonality now. You know, I have some veteranship that I can enter the entrepreneurial space. But the without... fact that they think that they have to do that is kind right. of um, something that I right. think can be changed because, because what's right. so fascinating is to watch young men show up and they, 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 they don't even consider, I mean, you know, maybe they do like privately, mm -hmm. <laughs> like internally, but you know, right. don't appear like they have any, like, it's not, like, why can't I do this? Whereas women are more likely to think, oh God, I've got to get all these credentials. I've got to do this, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that. I've got to show up. i got to have all this right, stuff. Right, right. And, and it's like, well, no, actually you don't, um, right? Although the fact that they do makes them more likely to succeed. So there's a lot of um, stats around that, you know, um, startups that have at least one female founder in the founding team um, survive. Like, I mean, they, they get to the... Ten, the five-year mark, the 10-year mark. Um, there's other some stats about NASDAQ-quoted companies and Dow-quoted companies where there's a woman or more on the executive team and board, their financial results are better. Mm. So yeah, it's, a real, it's a real advantage. And yet, um, sure. it doesn't correlate to how capital is, is awarded. So yeah. uh, that needs to be fixed. Well, I mean, one, one important thing that you mentioned is point of entry is that, uh, you know, I, I think to start a, a, to be an entrepreneur nowadays, you know, um, so a couple of things is I'm a huge fan of, you know, Gary Vee's approach to entrepreneurship. Huge yes, follower. me too. Um, yeah. Uh, several of his books and, and the fact that he just validated that you're a big fan. Oh, no, uh, totally. I, I know he is. He's like sort of my authenticity spirit animal, you know, because whatever you, whatever you. Okay. So, so like whatever you say about, I mean, he was one of the early pioneers of, of being authentic on social media. So like, I mean, just in, in other words, being himself, 
but moreover, taking the time to get to know his customers. And he did all of that in a very labor intensive way, like with wine library and everything in the beginning, yep. very labor intensive. So like, wow. So we say, okay, that's awesome. Like we know that works. So now let's use technology to be able to take the labor intensity out of it. Right. Well, so let me work smart and like target the right, you know, like, so you can do, sure, so sure. anybody can be a Gary V, but technology assisted. Yeah. Well, without being too eager, is this why I resonate with Gary so much? And I haven't told, I probably haven't shared this too often with many of my listeners anyway. Uh, so let me throw an extra log in the fire. You know, being an immigrant to this country, honestly, I think there's a stronger and a deeper appreciation for what you have. And, you know, just a quick nugget to this is, you know, my father is an entrepreneur, even though he denies it, you know, 14 years of owning your own business technically makes you an entrepreneur right. you know, at this point, whether or not you recognize it or not. But, you know, there's a few things that Gary talks about that I think are essential to what are some of the things that me and you are talking about is, you know, a couple of things. One is he mentions just start. You just know, start. Yeah. Don't you know, make just, perfect the enemy of the good, exactly. just start. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're talking about on, female entrepreneurs and, you know, I'm a huge believer of this is this, that if you have, if you have something to offer and you generally believe, regardless whether you're male or female, but for females, especially, you know, be enticed, find a way to be enticed to be able to work with companies to offer that added value that you bring to the table, you know, because I think a lot of, and male entrepreneurs even do that. You know, I, I, I'm guilty of this myself, even to be quite honest, that we tend to overthink things. We think that, okay, we need investment, we need VC, we need some upfront capital before we start our business. The reality of things is, I'm going to tell you, probably 95% of the people I have in my network that have started businesses and have successful businesses, They've bootstrapped the whole thing. Yeah, it's the smartest the way. To, honestly, it's the smartest way to go. Um, and and here's, I mean, here's why. If you can do it that way, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you're building a business. And I think one of the things that Gary Vee says, and I, I totally agree with, there's so much emphasis in the startup community that success is being funded. And it's right. not. All it is is being funded. It doesn't guarantee success. It might help you, um, but it can also make you a little bit lazy. Um, so finding, finding your customers and creating something that people want to pay for is the surest validation. And if you need VC capital, the time to take it is when you've already proven something out um, and you're ready to go conquer a market or really scale or like just like I need money because I'm going to make this international or I need money because I want to be number one in that whole category. Like right, that's, right. that's where like ideally you should take VC money and moreover um, just to get money isn't good. I mean, you're basically getting married to your investors, right? You got a five to seven year relationship with them. You better like them. You better qualify them as much as they're qualifying mm -hmm. you sure, and really sure. understand like, make sure that you're in alignment. And so you see a lot of people get funding and think they're doing great. And then a lot of them lose their companies or, or yeah. it's so diluted by the time there's an exit, they don't really get much, if anything, you know, I remember yeah. reading yeah. that the, the Twitter founders, several of them ended up with nothing at the IPO. It's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I really, really like about, uh, you know, Gary Vee is, um, he has a video 
uh, I think it was on the Daily V or the Gary V show, um, labeled uh, Wish Everyone Was an Immigrant. And that, that's something yeah. that I think on a personal level, it really resonates with me. And I'm kind of segueing into a question that I want to ask you because um, this is a question that I ask almost every single entrepreneur, every single business owner, because I think it in a way creates a delineation for me. And I think it should for a lot of people. But in the video, where he talks about, you know, I wish everyone was an immigrant is that he talks about a lot of personal emotional aspects of business and how business really should be, uh, for one, it should be an intuition driven initiative, but also most importantly, you know, should be an initiative behind helping people, wanting to help people. Not, uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners have a misconception when they start out and think that you know, I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs or the next Bill Gates and my product is going to explode and I'm going to sell a hundred million dollars or my service service is going to be the next greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's not that. Mm -hmm. With that being said, the question I want to ask you is what specifically drove you towards entrepreneurship? If you, if you think back all the way back to when you were doing door to door and like you said, you were wondering ah. where were my parents, what drove you? towards entrepreneurship yeah so i i don't i can't speak for myself as a five-year-old right like but right. <laughs> but but in a word it's it's mission it's mm -hmm. mission it's really wanting to to improve the world right sure. um and and i mean honestly that's the those are the type of people that we like to work with at verifeed as well um because it's just about money i mean think of it from a very personal perspective like say say in that very selfish kind of way of like looking at it only in terms of yourself if it mm -hmm. is only about money I've seen so many entrepreneurs make all this money but then they're desperately unhappy because if that's the only metric you have to evaluate your success in life it's a pretty empty one um, where people right. um, find the most in my opinion anyway where people find the most happiness is in is in giving and is in making a difference for people, solving a problem that actually make people's lives like measurably sure. better. And so when I say mission, that's very much, that's very much my motivation. How can I make, you know, and whether it's something as simple as like, how can I save people time in their day? How can I make their businesses more successful? How can I make their mission, um, you know, clearer and, 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 and enable right, them to find right. the right people that are going to make it better for everybody. How can I create like a win, win, win where like, you know, the one plus one equals 10, you know, how can right. I do that? Moreover, like, I mean, increasingly, obviously, you know, my mission too is very personal in terms of female entrepreneurship. I mean, I want to be in a position to invest in a hundred female owned and run um, and founded mm -hmm. businesses in the next 10 years. Um, well, and so that's right. Like it's a big moonshot. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in those moonshots and you say that out loud. And I say that on a podcast right, right. and, and, and that means I'm putting it out in the universe. That's, that's what I really want. And to you do. should. Uh, absolutely. And you should, you should, uh, you know, nobody else is going to toot your own horn. You know, you're the only person, or I should say, nobody's going to toot your horn, but you, you're the person that needs to toot your own horn every day. So I'm glad that you share that, that you want to invest. One thing that you mentioned is one plus one equals 10. Well, in a linear sense of thinking, right, which data guys and digital strategists think is that one plus one equals two, but it really doesn't. 
It's a lot bigger than that. It's about the connectivity, right? And the expansion. You know, you made a very good point too in your last statement that talked about genuinely wanting to help companies because the one thing that Gary Vee talks about is that, you know, and I firmly believe that I think true entrepreneurship is a DNA driven initiative because for me personally, I get up every morning and, you know, I've been getting up to digital since I was 14 years old. I'm 37 years old. That's 23 years that I've been getting up to technology basically. And I don't look at it as a way to, I never looked at it as a way to monetize. Like how much am I going to, how much money am I going to make, you know, from that, from that technology. And even when I started my business as well, you know, uh, razor sharp digital, you know, the, the, the way of thinking wasn't about monetization. It wasn't about, you know, getting checks and getting new clients. It was about helping. It's about giving value. It, it was about helping brands excel and innovate in their own space with their own clients in their own industry. So, and, and from what I'm sensing, some of the things that you were talking about from a female entrepreneurship standpoint, and you know, what entrepreneurship means to you, it's mission. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it should be, you know, because I mean, to be quite honest with you, you know, my, my background 11 plus years was working in boutique agencies. <laughs> and let me tell you, Melinda, I don't know how many times I've talked to principals who got into business for the wrong freaking reason, mm-hmm. you know, because they got into it because they wanted to monetize, you know, or they got laid off from their job. So they thought the next coolest thing is I'm going to start a business. Well, that's not necessarily a valiant reason to start a business. Mm-hmm. Because you just, you know, I think there was a movie, uh, I'm trying to think who was, who was uh, in it. It might have been This is 40, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, the guy starts a record company and he says, I started a record company because nobody else would hire me. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I think entrepreneurship, and I completely agree with you. I'm glad that you see it from that standpoint, that it's about mission. It's about being able to fulfill that mission and being able to help uh, companies. So uh, with that being said, you know, I know we've been jamming for, for quite a while here and I know your time is very precious. By the way, thank you so much for jumping on again to jam with me here. How can people find you out, out there if they want to connect with you, the socials, emails, what's the best way to connect with you? Okay. Well, thank you for asking. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, very old school, you can get me email, uh, Melinda at verifeed.com, the name of my mm-hmm. company, V-E-R-I-F for Fred, E-E-D.com. And then right now, um, I have a special offer up until October 15th at a very uh-huh. kind of low rate. People can go to verifeed.com slash exclusive um, and check it out. Uh, we're really excited about it. I'm working with a hand-picked group of no more than 20 people. Um, mm-hmm. You need to be an entrepreneur and you need to be mission-driven and pretty highly motivated. And we're going to turn your social media from a cost center into a profit center. You know, find your ideal influencers, the people that okay. if they're really happy and really engaged, right, are going to bring many, many more like them to the party. So just to give you an example of where we did that in the past, we once found 10 ordinary women 
um, mm -hmm. who drove more than 9 million <laughs> to wow. an Amazon shopping cart. So like we want to find, amazing. yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, we don't always get that ratio. That was like one of the biggest ever, but like, sure. you know, sometimes it'd be 10 can bring with them a million, you know, like that. So we're going to find your 10. We're going to do your ideal customer mm -hmm. dossier, like who your true tribe truly is listen to them and then shape the messaging, the authentic messaging that's going to allow you to work smart and personalize to the ones that count so mm -hmm. that you can put a multiplier really on the impact you're getting from your social media. So check that out. Cause that's like a super cool okay. offer. It's like hugely discounted for a short period of time. And it's, um, uh, again, verifiedcom slash exclusive. Okay. And okay. And I'll make sure. Yeah, and you can find me on social media. You know, Verifeed is on Facebook, and you know, okay. um, and uh, on. Um, let's see, where else is a good place to find me? Just Melinda Whitstock is on Facebook personally, and on my Instagram, Melinda Whitstock twenty twenty, because I believe in like twenty twenty vision. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, on Twitter, I'm Variate V E R I A T. Um, and, uh, but if you just search Melinda Whitstock, you'll find me as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for, like I said, jamming with me. And by the way, before I forget, um, so the link will be included in the description of the podcast, just to make sure that people know about it. They can go visit it, especially female entrepreneurs who want to blow up uh, their social. Um, I am ec ecstatic and really looking forward to your book. By the way, um, truly hoping that maybe we can reconnect on social or, you know, maybe have you back on the podcast, you know, once the book is out, because, you know, one of the things like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, it, it's not like there's that many, you know, successful entrepreneurs out there, female entrepreneurs, uh, without further ado, you know, who, you know, have gone through the path that you have. So really excited about your book. And, you know, maybe it's something that, you know, we can have future in a, in a future podcast. And with that being said, again, thank you so much for jamming with me. I had a great time and thank you so much for sharing all the knowledge. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it was really great. And so I enjoyed our discussion. And there you have it guys. That was the guest interview with Melinda Whitstock from Verifeed. And before I forget, make sure you check out the exclusive offer that she mentioned, especially if you're a female entrepreneur and you really want to crank up your social media to a whole nother level. Check out verifeed.com forward slash exclusive for a special promotional offer that is a time sensitive offer. It's available for a limited time, so make sure you check that out. If you're looking to ramp up your marketing initiatives and take your business to a whole nother level, make sure you check out razorsharpdigital.com. Grab your free copy of five strategic essentials on human marketing to help you get started. And hopefully we can connect with you, help you take your business to the next level. And without further ado, guys, that will wrap up episode 14 of the human business narrative podcast with special guest melinda woodstock be kind to each other look out after each other try to act human i'll talk to you later bye, -bye.